Jen. And this is Gardening Out Loud. It is Monday, August 21st. It's about 7.30 in the morning. And I'm out in the garden. It's a lot of the same that's happening right now. Harvesting things like tomatoes and beans, 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 and cucumbers and flowers and herbs. This is the time of peak abundance in the garden. I could give a bouquet of cosmos to everyone on my street at this point. I can see how my supposed restraint <laughs> isn't quite as restrained as it might have been, but that's okay because the cosmos give me joy and most things are well established enough that they're not shading them out too badly at this point. So today I thought I would talk a little bit about cut flowers and we could focus on the cut flowers in the garden. This was something that wasn't a part of the garden until maybe five years ago when I grew my first dahlia, the gateway drug of cut flowers. And also I discovered how happy making bouquets made me. And I think this was unexpected because I was already a well-established gardener. I love to grow vegetables. I love to harvest those things. And I thought I was quite practical. I am quite a practical person, actually, if you know me. And so flowers were frivolous things. So, you know, they were fine, but they generally the flowers I grew were ones that were edible or that were specifically for attracting pollinators. And then I just started making little fistfuls of flowers and they were so joyful that I wanted to do more of it. So I grew that first dahlia and that was eye-opening. And then, hmm, what happened next? I don't know. I was growing my rose. I've been growing my rose for several years now. That was probably a factor too. And then probably I started following Erin Benzakina Florette and reading her books. I am a person who once I discover something that interests me, I will start reading the books. <laughs> that is one of my go-to things. And so that's probably what I did. Erin's book, A Year in Flowers, is tremendously useful. It's less about growing than about arranging. But for me, that was an area that I needed to learn. And there's a section specifically at the back that goes through flower or stem by stem and explains how to prepare it for the vase, how long it will last, any special treatments it might need. And I still consult that all the time, especially if I'm experimenting. So if you want to learn more about arranging flowers, that's an amazing resource. Arranging flowers, I think, was really what took this relationship to a whole new level. Because once you start arranging flowers, you spend more time thinking about them, contemplating them. You want to try new things, new shapes, new blooms at different times a year. 
And so for me, arranging flowers is actually what made me want to grow even more of them. For me, arranging flowers is like my highest flow state. I can think about almost nothing else. The time flies by. I'm thinking about color. I'm thinking about shape. I'm just playing. It is one of the purest forms of play I've discovered as an adult. And, and I think we don't have enough play as adults. And so it's been something that I've kind of nurtured in myself and allowed myself to follow that curiosity. And it's something that I'm still not, you know, I'm not a pro at. And in the beginning, I was fully amateurish. I look back on the case I made and I think, God, what were you, what were you thinking? But it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm not trying to be a professional. It's play, it's improvement, it's nurturing a part of my creative brain. And so if you have the opportunity, even with just wildflowers, I encourage you to try that. Just see what feels good in your brain. The other thing that's really fun and creative about it is using things that aren't traditional cut flowers or are the cut flowers at a different phase. So echinacea isn't really a traditional cut flower and it kind of starts to sag in the vase a little faster than might be ideal. But what does work really well are just like the actual flower heads and all the petals are gone. These kind of like brown cones. Those are really interesting to integrate. And I don't grow the echinacea from a cut flower perspective, I grow it as a native plant or a native adjacent plant, but I do sometimes work it into some arrangements. So I love walking around and looking for things, tried flower bits, blooms from unconventional things, different potential foliages and integrating those. And so it's a real endless form of creativity. And so that's why a garden that used to be about 2% flowers is now the rest being like vegetables and some native plants and a few kind of decorative plants. Now it's probably at least 40% flowers. And so where I once grew tomatoes, I now grow dahlias. And I still grow tomatoes, <laughs> of course. I'm never giving up growing tomatoes. But a lot of the prime growing space in the full sun is now given over to what I once would have thought was totally frivolous. And maybe in some ways it still is kind of totally frivolous, but beauty and mindfulness and presence and creativity those aren't frivolous things. And cultivating these little pockets where I get to be this embodied, creative flowing person, that's not frivolous. The bees are sleeping in a bit this morning. And interestingly, 
Some of them are sleeping on the stems of the flower instead of inside. It's really common for them to sleep inside of the cup of the cosmos. There's one here that has one on the stem and one on the flower of the zinnia. So cup flowers seem like something that is a frivolous indulgence, but here it's still providing a food source. It's providing a place to sleep. They are still a part of the ecosystem. Are they as useful as native plants? Often not, but I don't believe in that binary of native plants good, non-native plants bad. You know, we've talked about that before. So what I do is integrate as many native plants as possible and then to grow the cut flowers that I love that are ultimately going to be so much more sustainable than any imported flowers. Imported flowers have a huge carbon footprint. They're often grown by people working in labor conditions that are exploitative and that are dangerous. So, you know, we think of flowers as very romantic, but there is nothing less romantic than mass-produced roses grown under terrible conditions. So keeping in mind some nuance, I guess, which is to say that native flowers are great. We want to grow lots of them, but there's also room for other kinds of flowers here. And also some native flowers can be cut flowers, your Echinacea, your black-eyed Susan, your pearly everlasting, your obedient flower. These are all things that can work in bouquets, uh, hyssop, etc. Just to say, I think there's room for a lot of kinds of planting. If done mindfully, if attended to thoughtfully. So let's walk around, just like talk about things that I might have used for cut flowers, or I should say in arrangements. Right by the gate, we have New England Aster, which I grow for a native pollinator plant. And I will say it is the first sign of fall when the New England Aster starts to bloom. And we have had just two blossoms out of hundreds. So that hurts my heart a little bit that it's happening. But yes, I've integrated that when it's in bloom. I have lavender both the foliage and the blooms I've used. My clematis, yes, love using that. Roses, of course. Sedums, love, love, love sedums for arrangements. Both the flowers and just the straight foliage. It lasts so long, it's so hardy. The colors I find blend beautifully with other colors, so great. Here's a drumstick allium that's gone over, but that's a really fun cut flower. If you can get it at just the right time, they're kind of like egg-shaped purple blossoms. I saw them for the first time at the parquet near us at the wonderful Jane Jacobs garden. And was like, I need to grow these. What are these in? I'm gonna find them out. Um, have a couple of peony plants that have never bloomed, but you know, theoretically a good cut flower. Uh, sea holly, sage. I love sage as a source of greenery in bouquets. Again, it lasts pretty long, especially if you kind of smash or cut the woody stems at the end. It can absorb more water. Irises, 
don't last so long on the vase, but I do use them. Poppies, again, a kind of a daintier, shorter-lived thing, but so beautiful. And so, yes, I also use those. The Borage that has taken over everywhere. <laughs> Not as much as the Cosmos, but a contender. I use that. The Calla Lilies I grew, the Nasturtium. I have some Queen Anne's Lace that just appeared. I grow that. This year I'm growing some China Asters, which are a different kind of asters, a bigger, fuller, fluffier head. I got the seedlings from Urban Harvest on clearance at the end of the season. They're doing okay. I find they don't produce as much as I want per plant, but maybe I've also just never grown them optimally. Scabiosa, which always sounds like a Harry Potter spell to me. Scabiosa. Scabiosa. I love these and they produce so many blooms over the course of the season. I love the black knight ones, especially that's my favorite. As long as you keep cutting them, they keep coming. And I've also used the seed heads of these. Um, straw flowers, love straw flowers. Those papery little blossoms are so special. They last a long time in the vase. My Achenops, use that. And right now, I don't, can't remember if we talked about this, the bees have pulled out the little flowers from around the spiky ball, but you can brush them right off and then go back to using them in your cut flower arrangements. They also last forever in an arrangement. I've talked about Cerinthi before. This is the arcing green with the little purple flowers at the end. British Gardening Television, they would call it a glaucus, a blue-gray kind of foliage. Right now there's a bumblebee who's really enjoying the little purple bell flowers at the end. Oh, he's so loud in his buzzing. Snapdragons, I love snapdragons as an essential cut flower. They produce so long. Um, I grow the Costa Silver ones. They're amazing. And then this year I picked up some Black Prince ones from Urban Harvest, but they went in a little later. And I don't know if they're just like a smaller variety or they're not as happy or they just miss the sweet window of being established. They're okay, but Costa Silver slays. Have some Lurkspur, which again came from the shopping spree I went on. And uh, again, it's a little smaller than I would expect, but this area of the bed is not at its peak <laughs> right now. It's getting a bit too much shade, I think, at this point, and I need to maybe overhaul how I think about this area. What else? Oh, asparagus. So when your asparagus grows out, all of those really thin stalks that are thinner than a pencil that you leave, it creates these big, beautiful, ferny fronds that are really delicate and airy. And I cut these all the time to use in bouquets. Uh, I think that they can add a real whimsy. Hyssop, nice spiky shapes. I use Obedient Flower, which is another native. I used that in its earlier stages. Although looking at these spent um, seed stalks. I think those could be interesting too. Wild Bee Balm. I've used that in bouquets. I've also used the seed heads. Hydrangea. Of course, this is a little lime hydrangea, which has smaller heads and a kind of creamy, greeny white that tinged with pink as the season goes on. I've used that. Mint, mint, mint. I use so much mint as a primary foliage in my bouquets. And, you know, we've talked about it. I let it run wild. Not advisable from everyone, but 
I do it and I benefit from it. Rue, meadow rue, it's a beautiful, airy, elegant flowers. Those can be great. I've actually just saved the dry stock of one for a kind of table centerpiece I'm planning. Okay, what else? Greek oregano, yes, especially once it gets its lovely little flowers. Basil, different kinds of basil can work great. There are some lovely dark leaf varieties that I find never flourish in quite the same way, but are totally usable. This is some Nicotiana, which is a beautiful dark red color. It makes not that many stems, but I love the little dangling blossoms. Again, they can add some real whimsy, so I like to include those sometimes. In my spring garden, we have the hellebores, of course, beautiful flowers for arrangements early in the spring. Columbine, that can work too. It doesn't last forever, but can work. Sometimes hosta leaves can be okay. Most of mine are a little too big and chunky. Solomon seal, if you're making a nice big arrangement, that can be great. Um, who else do we have here? Oh, garlic chive flowers, which are, mine are just getting ready to open. These are actually one of my favorite little bouquet flowers from this time of year. They smell amazing, which is a bit shocking. It's garlic family. Uh, yarrow. Yarrow can be great. I grow the native white yarrow and also kind of a yellow gold figure one. Dahlias, of course. Can't have too many dahlias. So many shapes and forms and colors. It's kind of endless. Trying to get the coveted, the it dahlia tubers or anything even in the family of the it dahlia tubers is a bit of a blood sport and I'm not looking forward to it. This winter spring, I, I don't succeed, but I just want to get, you know, some sealist dahlias that meet my criteria. And even that can be really difficult when the tubers go on sale from the dedicated growers. One minute later, not even certain varieties are sold out. So not ideal. Oh, I love these. These are gem marigolds, which are really small marigolds with five leaves and I grow these orange or tangerine gem ones and these surprisingly work well in a lot of arrangements despite being kind of a brighter color. They're quite easy to grow. I get large bushes of them and can integrate those. Calendula I do a little bit of. It's not my favorite for bouquets but occasionally some of it makes it in zinnias of course i grow several varieties of zinnias as i said the colors aren't quite what i want but you know over the next few years of breeding and seed release they're they're going to get closer and they're a nice sturdy long-lasting cut flower so i still make space to grow them and then of course the cosmos where i'm standing right now they're almost at the level of my face <laughs> and all around me. Mostly these are kind of your basic medium pink, dark pink, white ones. These are the ones that despite me planting bougier varieties, these are the ones that most want to come back and they end up kind of taking over most of the fancier ones. Although I had great success, too much success with this Cosmos apricot lemonade this year and that the plant is monstrous. Also the snow puff, 
that has persevered. And a few cupcake cosmos, maybe a couple plants. The flower of them looks like a cupcake wrapper. You know, that frilly part of it. That's kind of the outer ring of the blossom. And they're so lovely. I wish more of them wouldn't get crowded out by the kind of basic cosmos, especially the medium pink ones, which are the ones I use the least for bouquets. Something about this color tone I just find really difficult to work with. But in the garden as a whole, I love them. The bees love them, and so they stay. Parsley, when it goes to seed, I've used those flowers. Nine bark, one of the most vigorous <laughs> plants. So you need to give it a lot of space. Great for foliage. So I grow this really dark Diablo kind and also another kind. Raspberries, I use raspberry canes for foliage sometimes, and even it can be really beautiful if you're willing to sacrifice the fruit to use the immature raspberries on the plant when they're kind of a pale pinky color can be a beautiful addition to a bouquet. Goldenrod, I use that both before it blooms and after it blooms. Smokebush, I have an ailing smokebush that I was giving up for dead. <laughs> and it just doesn't want to die and it doesn't want to survive and I to be fair given it terrible placement twice so it's amazing that it wants to survive at all but of course smoke bush both has foliage and that frothy smoke effect great in bouquets scented geranium I use as a filler oh that rose of attar smells so good oh the nigella, both the flowers and the seed pods, I use those. You can use a black-eyed Susan. I think you're probably getting the idea though, which is to say, even if you don't grow specialty cut flowers, you could make yourself a beautiful bouquet. It's really just a matter of perspective. And if you're out for a challenge, I recommend it. This is a great time of year to try it. Try with wildflowers, try with vegetables, try with whatever you have on hand and make something that pleases you. It doesn't have to please anyone else or be part of the floral trends or anything of that nature. It doesn't even have to look like flowers. It could all be foliage plants, but I encourage you to go out and try. Put it in a little jar. Anyway, I think that you should build a bouquet or an arrangement, however it makes you happy. But I've done a couple years of make your own bouquet fundraisers now. And one thing I noticed is that people do get kind of nervous. We're not used to doing these creative things in different mediums. We feel like there's a way to do it and we should do it that way. And people sometimes want a little guidance. So let me offer three gentle guidelines that might help you out a little bit in making your bouquet. And if you don't want to follow them, great. All the power to you. But these are three things that helped me. One is the size of the vase. Oftentimes I think we pick a vase that's a bit too big for the scale of the flowers we have. So generally your vase is a third or half at the very most of the size of your total arrangement. So oftentimes if you can, thinking 
of bringing those flowers higher or thinking of making your container shorter works really well. Something as short as a jam jar can be great. Also often not having a hole that's too wide is useful. So the neck of a standard mason jar opening is a pretty good size. If you have a really wide mouth, it's going to be a little bit harder to fill that jar, to like to stop things from flopping all over unless that's the effect you want. Something that florists also do that can help you if you have a wider jar or you just want your arrangement to be a bit airier is to put a grid of tape. So take a piece of say scotch tape, cut it in half and put two strips across and then two strips perpendicular the other way. So you get a grid of nine squares and that can allow the stems to be supported in part by that and not simply by each other. And it might make it easier to get the effect you want or to manage a wider opening on a jar. Similarly, if you're making a bouquet and you want it to be airier, which is kind of the modern style for the blooms to be less constricted and to have more room, you can cross the stems in an X. So hold it loosely in your hand and then stems one way, stems the other way. This is gonna give you a longer bouquet, but it's gonna stop it from compressing quite so much. So that can be useful as a way to get that effect if that's what you're looking for. The last thing that really helped me is just a really general guidance, which comes from one of the Florette books, I think, is to either pick a palette that is warm in color or cool in color. So warm colors are those ones that have a yellowy undertone in them. Cool colors have a bluey undertone. And so you don't have to pick colors that are all the same, but picking them, staying within the warm and cool spectrum is a way to find more cohesion in your bouquet. I found that tremendously useful because sometimes it illuminates why something might not be working the way you want it to. A last piece of guidance, bonus, maybe we're at four now, I don't know, is that it can be helpful for blooms in your arrangement, in your bouquet, to be at different levels. It can look interesting if they're not, again, all in that same level. So some being short, some being long, and varying the levels that a bloom might be at. If you have a whole bunch of roses, you don't just want all the roses at the lowest level necessarily. You want to add that visual interest to have them at different levels. When I took a flower arranging course at the Wild Pansies, wonderful floral studio in Toronto, the teacher did note that, you know, sometimes you do want to cluster things together. Sometimes you do want a bunch of, say, cosmos all in the same region, because that gives the feeling of it being a garden, of it feeling a bit more natural. So really it's about finding, in my opinion, about finding a balance between varying the placement of certain blooms, especially those like big eye-catching ones that we call focal flowers, which are dahlias, roses, peonies, things like that. And then maybe distributing the others, play with that. This, remember, this is all an exercise in play and it should be fun. 
You don't have to have anything fancy to do this. And I hope it brings you just a little bit of the joy that it brings me. One more thing. We didn't talk about cut flowers in spring that much. And now is the time to start thinking about those spring bulbs. Now is the time to order them because they need to go in around October in most areas. And so I've already ordered mine because one can't have too many spring bulbs as far as I'm concerned. I order from Flower Bulbs RS, which is the retail branch of a importer that a lot of professionals use and they give nice big plump bulbs and have a lot of good selection for a good price so maybe something for you to check out obviously not sponsored or they're going to be in grocery stores and garden centers and places like that soon and if you have been thinking like maybe i would like to have my own little daffodils or something like that do it just spend ten dollars Give yourself the gift of joy after a long, hard winter. And for example, daffodils are much less likely to be made off with by squirrels and other kind of interfering <laughs> creatures who have their own plan for the bulbs. So if you have not had a lot of success and maybe your tulips or your crocuses have all disappeared, my crocuses have also all disappeared, try some daffodils. They might be just the ticket. Okay, that's enough from me this week. I am wishing you a wonderful week ahead. And hopefully with a little fistful of beauty in it. Thanks for listening, everyone.